So we're going to talk about this morning. Over the last several weeks, minus last week, we've been talking about living out the various purposes that God has for us here on this earth. Talking about living for the pleasures of God, living for the purpose of service, living to become like Christ. And now this morning, looking at living life with the purpose of fulfilling God's mission. You know, so often we get an idea that we think is awesome. And then we ask God to bless this idea that we think is awesome. And more or less, we invite God to join us in fulfilling our mission. This awesome idea, this awesome plan that we have. I think somehow over time, I believe that we've gotten this a little bit backwards. Rather than inviting God to join our plans on our awesome ideas, we really need to get back to submitting to His. You know, God is already at work and He has already called us as His holy ambassadors to fulfill His mission. In fact, he reminds us of that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. We'll look at that a little bit later. But it says, Therefore we are ambassadors of Christ, certain that God is appealing through us, and we plead on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. He is already at work. He's already called us to be ambassadors for His cause. But I think so often we get these ideas and then we say, God, would you bless our ideas? Would you join my plans? God, would you help me do what I feel like I need to do? Rather than us submitting to His. I want to challenge us all on that this morning. As we consider the idea of living out and fulfilling His mission. Before we do that, let's uh, look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank You so much for the opportunity and the privilege, Lord, to be here this morning, Lord, to have the freedoms to open Your Word And Lord, to read from it, to study it, to apply it to our hearts and our lives. And Lord, as we prayed earlier this morning, Lord, that we would not just be hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word. That we would, Lord, seek in our daily lives, Lord, to implement the truths of it, Lord, that we can become more like your Son, Jesus Christ. So dear God, we ask that you'd work in our hearts. And Lord, I pray as we do often on this day, Lord, that you would help us to, Lord, set aside some of the cares and the concerns, the trials, the difficulties, the frustrations, the anxieties, Lord, that many may be facing this morning to concentrate on what you have for us. Lord, that your word would have free course in our lives, Lord, as we understand it. So Lord, speak to our hearts. May your Holy Spirit Bring conviction where conviction is needed, and encouragement where encouragement is needed. And Lord, we pray that you will be glorified through the preaching and teaching of your word. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. As a side note, I think we have two objectives to live by in our daily lives. And I think they're really simple, but we kind of forget them in our day-to-day hustle-bustle world that we live in. I believe, first of all, that God has called us to have a mission or a ministry to those inside the body of Christ. And if we're not careful, life can become all about living for ourselves and doing the things that we have on our list to do and accomplishing the things that we have set before us. And if we're not careful, we make it all about ourselves rather than about the one who has called us. And I do believe that God is very clearly and emphatically giving us, given us a ministry to those inside the body of Christ. 
But I believe He's also given us a mission to those who are outside. A ministry to those inside, a mission to those who are outside. Uh, to those inside, Galatians 6.10 reminds us, He says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, we must work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. So when God impresses upon our hearts or burns our heart or makes us aware of a need, of a, a circumstance within the body of Christ that needs to be addressed, what is our first thought regarding that? Do we see what we can do to meet the need? Or do we assume that someone else will take care of it? So I believe very clearly that God has given us that ministry. He says, if you have the ability to do good, do it. What would hinder us from doing good to those within the body of Christ that need help? It ought to be us who says, hey, let, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful that we find out a family's going through a difficult time and we have so many people that want to help with it that we just don't have so much more left over that we don't know what to do with it. Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, think about how many people would be encouraged in the body of Christ if when a need was made known, everybody just jumped towards it. Say, Pastor, that's a utopia and we don't live there. I understand, but what if? If we really address this idea of ministering to those who are in the body of Christ. In fact, we kind of took on a motto as our church. Love God, serve people, and grow together. It's, wonderful, it's a wonderful thing, and, and maybe to many, in, in many of our minds, you say, well, we love God supremely, but how is that manifested? It should be manifested through our love towards one another. Not just those inside the body of Christ, but those outside as well. But I wonder if we're fulfilling this idea of loving others because of our love for God and letting God love them through us. So as we have opportunity, we must work, the, work for the good of all, especially those who are in the body of Christ. And then to those outside our mission, John chapter 10 verse 16 says, But I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also. As they will listen to my voice, then there will be one flock, one shepherd. In other words, God has called us to share the gospel. It's not just the job of a pastor or a teacher or a leader of a church. It's all of our responsibilities. And that's really what I want to focus on a little bit this morning is accepting the burden and the call to share the gospel to those who may need to hear it. So John 10, verse 16 says, Other sheep, because I, 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 we talk about the fold and those who are already in, and it's wonderful as I look around and we say, well, I want to assume that a lot of us have already made that decision. We've, accept, we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. That's a wonderful thing. We're inside the fold. But what about those who are not? What about those who are still on the outside? He says there are other sheep that need to be brought in. I wonder if we live with that burden as well. But I want us to think about two things here. First of all, the example of Jesus. And I think there's three things to consider here under the example of Jesus. Jesus understood His mission. Jesus understood His mission. In fact, in Luke chapter 2, verse 49, He says, Why were you searching for Me? He asked them. Didn't you know that I had to be in My Father's house? See, at the age of 12... Jesus had disappeared. He's playing hooky on his parents and everyone else around him. And they're all looking for him. He goes, well, wait a minute. Didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? At age 12, he understood what his mission was. And there he was in the temple confusing the elders of the, of the temple. But the bottom line is he understood his mission. I wonder if some of us don't understand what God has called us to. You see, I, I'm convinced that over a period of time that there's been a lot of people who have bought into the idea that they need Jesus Christ, otherwise they'll spend eternity in hell. 
That's one reason to get saved. But I wonder if it's not the right reason. You see, when we pick up the mantle to follow Jesus, it is a commitment. And it's not just a get out of hell card. It is not just a get into heaven card. It is a lifelong relationship and journey of following Jesus Christ and living for His purposes and not our own. And so I wonder if we haven't got an idea that there's not much commitment required. We got the wrong notion. There's a lot of commitment required. And it ought to change the way we live. And at age 12, Jesus understood that. I think secondly, Jesus completed His mission. He understood what it was at age 12, but at age 33, He completed it. In fact, John chapter 19, verse 30 says, When Jesus had received the sour wine, He says, It is finished. Then bowing His head, He gave up the Spirit. At age 33, He completed the task that God had called Him to. See, we can read about His young lifespan and what He did for His Father But what about our lifespan? What are we doing to complete our Father's tasks? Number three, Jesus lived His mission. And His mission became our mission. And He said, I didn't come to this world to be served, but that I might serve them and give my life a ransom for many. He understood His mission. He completed His mission. He lived His mission. So let's put that in the context of where we and I live today. Do we understand what God has called us to? Do we understand what it means to head for the goal of completion? For example, when we get up in the morning, what are some of the first things that come to our mind? Well, we're going to you know, take a shower. We're going to get dressed. We're going to kind of think through the day, what we're going to eat when we get home. We've got to get that in the crock pot. We've got to get that going. And life somehow starts the process of what? Revolving around me. I wonder what would change if we said, Okay, Lord, in the morning, and you've seen the sign before, Lord, so far this day I haven't yelled at anybody, I haven't got upset with anybody, I haven't, you know, anything, Lord, but I'm about to get out of bed, and it's all going to start. I wonder if we started the day and said, Lord, my tendency is going to be to be selfish today. But God, would you help me fight against that? God, would you help me to serve you by serving others? God, would you help me to look for those who are struggling? God, would you help me to find those who are maybe a little bit disadvantaged? God, would you help me to serve them? And in so doing, serve you. What if we just tweaked our morning starting routine, startup routine in such a way that we said, God, my life is yours today. And whatever I can do to serve you, that's what I want to do. Make His mission our mission of serving others. But not only the example of Jesus, but also the exhortation of Jesus. Very familiar passage. We all know it. We've been taught it since we were young. Matthew 28, 19, 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go. Really, the idea, as you're going about, as you go to work in the morning, as you go to the grocery store, as you are getting gas, as you are talking to the neighbor across the fence or across the street, as you are doing whatever it is that you do every day, the 
question is, are you going with the purpose of fulfilling the mission? He says, go therefore and make disciples. Think about this just for a moment. I want you to answer out loud. But how many of us have ever taken the time? I want you to be honest. God knows your heart anyway. He knows mine. Have you ever invested in somebody in a spiritual way? Have you ever just invested in somebody else spiritually? Answer that question in your mind. Have you ever sought to disciple somebody who is willing to be taught? Somebody who had an interest to learn? And just simply imparting wisdom, knowledge of God's Word into the life of someone else. If I could say it this way, teaching someone else what you've learned. How is it that you handle the struggles and trials of life? Because no one is exempt from them. Have you ever just sat down and showed someone else how you deal with the loss of a loved one when they die? Because that hurts. And it goes deep. Have you ever sat down and, and really just walked through scripturally how you deal with losing a job that you really thought was a good job and really depended on it to take care of your family? And your neighbors know that you just lost it. They're wondering how you're coping with that. Have you ever just sat down and just the daily things of life to someone who may not yet believe and say, I want to teach you how I get through it. I want, to, I want you to know how I deal with this stuff. Discipleship. So let me ask you the question. Who is Matthew 28, 19, and 20 indirectly directed to? Okay, I realize that you weren't the recipient because you weren't there, you weren't alive, neither was I. But practically speaking, who is he writing this to? All of us, believers. Are we doing it? Are we doing it? Are we going and making disciples of all the nations? And then having the opportunity to share our faith. Letting God work in their hearts and as He draws them to Himself, watching them be baptized. Verse 20, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I like what Andy Stanley said years ago. He said in casting a direction for a church and when it comes to discipleship, mentoring, vision, all of it, one of two things happens. Either if we don't do our job, either people will A, not go anywhere, or B, they'll go where they don't need to go. Folks, we that have the truth need to teach so that they know how to live, where to go in life. And if we don't do it, they'll either go nowhere in their faith, or they'll go where they don't need to, believing every wind of doctrine. We must do our job. Who are you investing in? Who are you investing in? Men, who you got your arm around? Whose fist are you bumping, saying, I want to encourage you? Ladies, which of the next generation are you investing in? Teaching them how to be godly ladies, godly women. Mentoring them. Who are we investing in? In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, he says, Then he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole of creation. 
get where I'm going with this just for a minute. Luke 24, 47. And repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. John chapter 20, verse 21. Jesus said to them again, Peace to you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Acts 1, 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Five times is so significant this call. So significant this call is that Jesus' mission was related five times, stated five different ways in five different books. I say, well, why did he have to state it in five different forms, in five different books? If it is so significant. Because we're hard-headed and we don't get it. Maybe you're different than me. I got thick skulls sometimes. But it was significant enough, this call, this mission, that he said it five times in five different ways in five different books. I think he wanted us to get it. Where to go? Makes sense to me, right? doing it. So our purpose in life is not to get God to join or bless our awesome idea or plan. Rather, it's God calling us to join His work, His mission, already in progress. He exemplified it, and then He exhorted us to follow it. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 says, Everything is from God who reconciled us to Himself, through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So Jesus Christ says, because we've been reconciled, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, so that we can bring others to Christ. Right? Verse 20. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, certain that God is appealing through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So it's not our own message even, is it? It's not my message. Hey, I want you to know I got a message for you that will change your life. No, it's not my message. It's God's message coming through us as we go through with power to display that message to the world that needs to hear it. Then God controls the outcome of that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Working together with Him, we also appeal to you, don't receive God's grace in vain. You know, we're working together with Him to fulfill His mission. And it's the greatest priority any one of us could ever have. Over in Acts chapter 20 and verse 24, it says, But I count my life of no value to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus, here's the ministry, to testify to the gospel of God's grace. Do we understand the grace that we've been given? I mean, just think about that. If any one of us got what we deserved, where would we be going? We don't even like to say the word, do we? We don't like how it comes off our tongue. We don't like that word. But were it not for God's grace, we'd all be headed there. And he says, we've been given this ministry to testify to the gospel of God's grace. It's the grace of God that can change a life. Not just my life, not just your life, but the life of so many if they would hear and understand and accept. 
couple years ago, we wrote kind of a discipleship plan. And I, in lesson one, I think it was, talking about salvation, talked about an illustration about a cure. If you had the cure for a disease, just hypothetically, follow along with the logic here just for a moment. But hypothetically, you've been working on a cure for a disease, and no one thus far has been able to come up with a cure. People are dying for lack of a cure. And then one day, you understood the cure to this disease. And all of a sudden, you understand that because of what you've just discovered, it changes the entire outcome of the person with the disease. No longer do they have to die. They can now live. What would you do with that cure? Let's fill in the blank. Let's assume for a moment it was a cure-all for cancer. And you discovered it. Would you not want the world to have it? Whatever the sickness, whatever the disease, you've got the cure, and now you have the ability to give it away. You know, in essence, that's what Jesus Christ did to us through the gospel. We have a sin sickness, Romans 3.23, born into this sin. Romans 6.23, born with a, with, 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 a, with a beeline heading for hell, except for the gift of God. Our best recompense, our best merit, our best award, our best ability means nothing. And we have the cure, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it will keep someone from going to hell. Are we giving it away? Are we sharing this cure to others? I'm still a firm believer that it's just one-on-one relationship with others. It is that neighbor that you talk to across the fence. It is the guy who li- that you've worked with for five years or ten years or twenty-five years. It is the person that you see at Wegmans every week because you go down that line because you saw that same person again and again. That's what I'm starting to do. Passing out pens, flyers, little things I have in my pocket, whatever I can do. It's relationship building. It's investments. You've heard me say it before that it'd be wonderful that if you could just take this $100 and put it into this you know, retirement fund and then two months later it's at $200, right? You're like, Pastor, I need the name of that guy. We know that investments don't happen overnight, do they? But you put in a little bit here and a little bit here and a little bit here and a little bit here over weeks and months and then years and you hope, <laughs> sometimes against hope, that 30, 40 years from now what you invested will have a yield. But if it doesn't, you tried. It's the same thing with people's lives. We invest. It's a conversation here. We invest. It's another conversation. And another conversation. 
over weeks and months and years sometimes. But it's seed being sowed. It's water on top of the seed. And saying, God, in your time, would you draw them to yourself? It's relationship building. It's investments into relationships. And I think there's three truths that we need to remember here. Number one, we know and have the truth. We know. I don't have to hope I'm going to heaven. I don't have to wish I was going to heaven. I don't even have to think I'm going to heaven. I can know I'm going to heaven. These things have I written unto you who believe that ye may what? Know that you have eternal life. We know and have the truth. In fact, in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people, and we must be saved by it. It's only in the name of Jesus Christ. Nothing else. No one else. Secondly, we need to work quickly. John chapter 9 verse 4 says, We must do the works of Him who sent me while it is day, and night is coming when no one can work. There will be a day when we will have no more opportunity to share. So are we taking advantage of the opportunities that we have now? Part of the mission that God left us here on earth to to complete is to tell others about Him. The, The work that He's called us to as ambassadors of. And two thoughts under that. Number one, Hebrews 9.27, As it is appointed unto men once to die, after this to judgment. You're going to die. Like it or lump it, you're going to die. But you don't know when. I mean, think about it. If you knew that you had two weeks to live, what would you do differently? Just, just, Just ask him. What would you do differently? If you knew you had two weeks to live. Man, we'd get our house in order. I mean, we would make sure we were surrounded by loved ones and family members that, that we really cared for. We'd be, you know, making sure that all of our relationships are in right order because we don't want to die, you know, with our kids or our family members upset with us. I mean, there would be some major things that we would work on. We'd try to get our finances in order. I mean, if we knew we had two weeks to live, there would be some things that we would work on. Right? We don't know when we're going to die. It might be two weeks. I got no death wishes, by the way. But when Christ comes, which is the second factor, will you be ready? We don't know when we're going to die. We don't know when Christ may come. Because he also tells us this. In Matthew 24, verse 36, Now concerning that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, except the Father only. We don't know when we're going to die, and we don't know when Christ is going to come. It might be two weeks. It might be two days. It might be two hours. What needs to change to be ready when the Lord comes? So we know the truth. We know what the answer is. I think number three, we need to offer ourselves to His work. And Romans 6 verse 13 says, And do not offer any parts of, of it to sin. Talking about our bodies, our, our vessels. As weapons for unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. Have we offered ourselves to God? I'm not talking about are you saved. I'm not talking about the fact of whether or not you know you're on your way to heaven. I'm asking this question. Have you offered yourself to God for service? Last week, last week we talked about being a servant. 
This week we're talking about offering ourselves to fulfill God's mission, not our own. See, we can, already, we can always be busy doing stuff. And, and we ask this question, am I willing to give up what may be good? It's a good thing to be a part of. For something that's better, that's a good step. But am I willing to give up what's better for what's best for the Lord? Good is good. But he also said, I don't want to just spend my life doing what is worthwhile. Because everything we do will be judged on whether it is worthwhile or good. Am I willing to give up what's good for what's better and what's better for what's best in serving God and fulfilling His mission? We all have a testimony if we know Jesus Christ. 1 John 5.10 says, Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that He loved us and has sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. John 4.28 says, Then the woman left her water jar, went into town and told the men. What, what, are, what are the ideas in these two verses? My motivation for serving God is my love for Him. If I love Him, I want to serve Him. Matthew tells us if we love Him, we want to keep His commandments. In Romans 12, it talks about the very things that He has to do. They're not burdensome. They're not grievous. They're it's the least we can do. The woman simply told others what happened to her. Is there any other better form of evangelism than that? Seriously? I mean, I know we there's program after program after program out there. 13 steps. I remember the first time as a brand new pastor at 24 years old in Tippecanoe, Indiana getting the David Woods So Winning Evangelism packet in the mail. Thirteen steps to leading someone to the Lord. We're supposed to memorize the thirteen steps. I'm telling you, I couldn't remember thirteen steps to save my life. It was a flop. We got together every Sunday night and we tried to memorize the thirteen... Programs, people. Tell someone what has happened to you. It's really where it's at. Every one of us, if we have a testimony, can share with someone else what it was that changed your life. It's not memorizing all kinds of programs to, and have them in place before you go out. Because if that's the prerequisite, none of us will do it. Right? Am I, am I lying? But all of us can tell someone else what happened to us and what changed our life. See, the woman went down there to, got, you know, to get some water, and she got some water, but she got some real water. So if you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. It changed her life. And what did she do? She forgot about the water pots that she went, came to get the water, and she also she went on telling someone else what happened to her. Really, I mean, it doesn't get no, no simpler than that. When's the last time we told somebody else What changed our life? Um, Dr. Tom Rayner in his book, The Unchurched Next Door, talks about a guy named Elmer. Elmer is a 32-year-old man who sits on his front porch on Sunday mornings because he's got nothing else to do. He's worked hard all week. He's not a Christian. 
but he knows everybody in the neighborhood who leaves Sunday morning between 9 and 10. And he says, I can look over there and say, that person goes to church, 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 and that person goes to church. I'm out here every Sunday morning reading my newspaper, drinking some coffee, watching everybody go to church. He goes, but the question I have is this. Why hasn't anybody talked to me about it? If it's so important to them that they leave every stinking Sunday morning, I mean, if this thing has really changed their life and really what consumes them, if it's that important, Elmer asks, why hasn't anyone said anything to me about it? Anyone else relate to the other people? (laughs) We leave every week, don't we? And our neighbors know we go. You say, well, I'm I'm, I'm showing them by my actions, right? It's a good cop-out. I'm just saying. (laughs) When's the last time we opened our mouth about it? Because it's changed our life. When's the last time we thought it was so important that we were going to do something about it? Elmer watched his neighbors go, but none of his neighbors ever talked to him about it. 1 Peter 3, verse 15 and 16 says, But honor the Messiah as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks of you a reason for the hope that is in you. However, do this with gentleness and respect keeping your conscience clear so that when you are accused, those who denounce your Christian life will will be put to shame. I want to close with this. What is the great commandment? We know it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, Mark says. That's what we kind of coined the great commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But here's the deal. This is my belief. Until we are willing to obey the great commandment, we will never obey the great commission. The great commission is to go and tell. But we will never go and tell until we stop and love the way he wants us to love him. What's my motivation? Love. Why is it that we serve our spouse? Love. Why is it that we provide for our families? Love. That ought to be our motivation. Hopefully it's not just for stuff. It's a pretty weak, lame reason if that's what motivates us. But it ought to be love. We love him because he what? First loved us. Love. Do we love God as we ought? If we do... Are we willing to fulfill his mission? See, all of us kind of have like a thought process that we live by. Some of us are mavericks. We kind of want to do it our own way, do our own thing. I get it. I'm kind of in that boat sometimes. But really, when it comes down to where the rubber meets the road, it's not about getting other people to join what we're doing because we think it's just so cool and so awesome. It really is to join what Jesus Christ already has in motion. Because he's called us to be his ambassadors. To do his work. 
to fulfill his mission. And remember we learned last week, James 2 says faith without works is dead. It's not existent. It's like not there. You might think it's there, but it's not. So bottom line is we should be about his mission, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's simply a go and tell. Let God deal with the outcome. He didn't call us to control the outcome. It would be wonderful if we could. You know, I'm so appreciative of you, and I'm like, man, you got to do this right now, because if you do this, you're going to go to heaven, right? Come, just say this prayer. Say it, say it. There we go. It doesn't work that way. It'd be wonderful if it did, but it doesn't. And I'm thankful it doesn't, because that messes with the motivation. And God never called us to control the outcome. But he did call us to share the word. And let him do the work of calling. So some plant, some water, but God gives the increase. Are we giving God anything to water? Are anyone else anything to water? Are we planting the seeds? Are we building the relationships? Are we investing in? It's not my job alone. It's not the assistant pastor's job to do it. It's not the Sunday school teacher's job to do it. It's not just for those Christians who've been around for 25 years to do it. All of us need to pick up this mantle and share our faith and see what God will do with it. Let's pray.